0: space-time. The ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission? To locate every second and contemplate every eon. From outside time, to the Big Bang, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the temporal trek Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek Podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 2. We've moved on from the Big Bang and we are now 3.5 billion years ago, give or take an eon or two. It's always helpful when one of our characters explains it for us, and it just so happens that it's Q himself. We're in TNG, and we're actually in the final episode of TNG, All Good Things. Based on the Netflix UK edit, which places both of the episodes as part of a two-parter together... We are beginning at timestamp 1 hour, 8 minutes, 38 seconds. So as I say, Q has already placed us in time. It's 3.5 billion years ago. So location in points of time is give or take an eon or two. Side note, an eon, as I've been looking up, is defined as 1 billion years or 10 to the 9 power. Now, I'm no mathematics expert, full disclosure, I really don't know my maths very well. But I believe that when someone says to the power of, it's just like a shorthand. So it's your number and then the amount of zeros after. I could well be wrong. Um, Please, any mathematicians who are listening, just let me know if I am right or wrong. If there's more to it, I'd love to find out. So uh, it's 3.5 billion years ago on the planet Earth. Uh, Q begins the whole scene by saying, welcome home. So we know what planet it is. It's actually been established by Q. He also says, don't you recognize your old stomping grounds? This is France 3.5 billion years ago. It's unclear whether they're standing where France will be now or they're standing on the bit of land that will become France. I know this might sound very nitpicky but when you're watching this knowing the very bare minimum of what I remember from my geography lessons at school I know that essentially the mass of the planet earth 3.5 billion years ago the rock that makes the planet is what is here making the planet earth today but because of volcanic activity, because of land masses settling into tectonic plates, uh, obviously the shifting, um, the, the different land masses that existed on the planet over the past 3.5 billion years, where you would be standing, where France is now, wouldn't necessarily be the same place that the land mass is 3.5 billion years ago i hope that makes sense so is picard actually home or is he standing on say the landmass that will become france but it's actually somewhere like australia or where australia will be uh 3.5 billion years in the future it's one of those little things that always got into my head and, and was like a niggle even you know when i was first watching this and then re-watching it all the time on dvd it always made me wonder is he actually standing where he is You know, is this longitude and latitude that that geographically is where France will be? Or is he somewhere else on the planet, but it just happens to be the same point? Who knows? Um, It's such a minor point, but it's such a short clip. Thought I might throw it in anyway. Q then goes on to make a point about all the volcanic ash and having to speak to the maid. Uh, Again, nice little bit of uh, meta humor that we've seen before with the Q. It's just always a bit of fun aside when a character can do something like that in a show like Star Trek. But this is another sort of scientific point as well. Had this actually been time travel, no cues involved, and this was Picard going back 3.5 billion years. There are several documentaries I've seen about dinosaurs and some of the creatures that came before the dinosaurs that explain that even if you were a time traveller going back to that point, you'd have to have some sort of breathing apparatus because you wouldn't be able to take in as much oxygen as you could today. We are the products of the environment that made us thousands of years ago. Billions of years ago, that environment did not exist. Indeed, as we're looking around in this scene, you've got lots of volcanoes, you don't even have recognisable uh, continental landmarks, so there's no mountains and so forth. The, the state and the crust of the Earth is still in a sense of formation. As I said before, you know, billions of years will go past and tectonic plates will settle, and then the things that we recognise today as... Earth will eventually form. Unfortunately they're just not there 3.5 billion years ago so Q is clearly keeping Picard alive you could use this as an argument to say that this isn't actually time travel that this is some sort of simulation of 3.5 billion years ago um, You know, a Q TED talk as it were uh, trying to get you in uh, and, and showing you uh, the past but for me I think this is actually time travel He hasn't explicitly stated that this is what will happen but I'm just showing you an approximation which he does in other episodes again doesn't quite factor into this segment but in other episodes knowing Q knowing what he does he does always state that it's not a simulation or an approximation he does actually say this is time travel so I'm going to go with time travel as Picard looks into the sky Q points out there's an anomaly up there I know what the anomaly is again I've seen Star Trek but if you were brand new coming into the show Watching this section, completely devoid of context, what is the anomaly? It appears as sort of a white ball of immense gas emanating across the sky. Q is saying that it even fills up the galaxy. So this is a massive, massive object, and it's huge in the past. Picard notices that that's something unusual. So there's clearly a decision that's been made in the future, perhaps by Picard, that has affected some anomaly, and in the past it grows bigger. We're already given this in just a few lines of dialogue. Q then breaks this and wants to point out something to Picard. He's pointing at this green puddle of goo sitting on a rock. He says that this is the first time that life will appear on the planet. Now, jumping out of the existence of Star Trek, the world of Star Trek, the in-universe Star Trek, into the TV universe of Star Trek... This episode was made in the 1990s. Again, not an expert here. I've done the bare minimum of research here. I've done me Googling. That's pretty much it. Um, I don't know where scientific theory was at the point. From what I gather, there are two camps of ideas that were floating around at the time. Either life started on the planet Earth from a green pile of goo which was amino acids that formed proteins and so on and so on and so on over millions of years Uh, and that it was much more of a process of many different elements coming together over a long period of time and the acids then forming the proteins throughout a very long train of history was like combustion was like uh, lighting a match. The conditions have to be right and therefore that causes the acids which causes the proteins and so on. There's another camp which I can see which is called the theory of panspermia. This has gained a little bit more traction. I think it's far more accepted now. Again, not an expert here, but I believe it's the more accepted alternative that the combinations, the acids, the proteins, and everything like this started when an asteroid, a celestial body, smashed into the planet Earth billions of years even before this clip with Q and Picard, carrying some of those acids on top of it essentially meaning that all life on the planet Earth is alien to the planet Earth, it just came here. Of course, panspermia doesn't quite account for the fact that, well, where did those assets come from, and so on, and so on, and so on, but it does mean there's sort of a a broken link in the chain in panspermia, as opposed to just a constant chain from the old way of thinking. And I believe that old way of thinking is is what was popular at the time in the 1990s when this episode was made. Today, it would probably be panspermia. If panspermia were to be the true theory, the exact way things actually happened, and this anomaly is out in space, leaping back into the in-universe explanation for Star Trek, does that mean that the asteroid was destroyed by the anomaly and therefore all of the proteins and acids didn't arrive on the planet so regardless of which camp you come into you could rewrite this scene to match scientific theory but it's still great to see two characters standing there effectively having a debate about the origins of life q places his hand in the green goo and sort of brings it up and he talks about this the building blocks of life uh, isn't it funny all the things you know all the things that you have learned. And it all comes down to this green pile of goo. Uh, I love John Delancey, and the way he delivers the line is so much of an actor's choice, leaping out of Star Trek universe and into sort of the the production universe and our reality as well. With John Delancey, uh, I, I love the voice of John Delancey. I love the characters that he plays. Uh, I know that he's now in the um, My Little Pony universe as a character. Was it called Discordance? Something like that. Who is effectively another god character. Playing off of that, I loved John DeLancey in the Stargate universe and the Senator who later, I believe, became a Gould. Wow, I'm gonna to have to watch rewatch Stargate as well. Oh god, there's another podcast idea for you. But again, that character was so conniving and horrible. John DeLancey, I just I love his performances and his acting choices. And just saying that word "goo" with such delight and "goo," you you get that impression. It's so it, it it's such a minor thing. It's something that most people would just probably ignore. But when I watch this and see his choices and, and what he's doing, it's just fun to watch. But then he goes into the explaining the process of the acids turning to proteins and so on and so on. And then, oh, nothing happens. See what you've done? And Picard realises that he has made some sort of error. He's made a choice which has somehow caused this anomaly. And that has gone back in time somehow and prevented the origins of life on the planet Earth. We're not just talking about wiping out the human race, we're not just talking about the animals, we're not talking about dinosaurs, we are talking about everything. Plants, animals, dinosaurs, us, humans, everything. And of course, if the anomaly is doing that to us, and it's the size of almost the entire galaxy, he's also wiped out many other civilizations based on some sort of choice he will make in the future when you look at the character of Picard imagine that weighing on him and he's just dealing with it in such a cerebral way it's a fantastic bit of acting from um, Patrick Stewart it's so understated but it clearly affects him he is a character that internalizes every decision and struggle that he takes as I'm recording this we are currently six episodes into the Star Trek Picard series, broadcasting in your reality as you're listening to this podcast as well. Seeing that character and how he has also internalised this future version of Picard, it's quite interesting to see some of the pick some of the internalisation that Picard does and did do back in the TNG era as well. Q congratulates him on this decision, whatever it may be, and we end at timestamp 1 hour, 10 minutes, 56 seconds. So we've located the point in time 3.5 billion years ago. Now we've got to look at continuity. As I've said before, Q has time-traveled. He hasn't said that this is an approximation. This isn't a Q TED talk or a PowerPoint presentation trying to explain something to Picard but in an unreal reality. This is another reality, but it is not the reality or universe of Star Trek. It is also not the universe of anything else either. It is a completely different universe, one we have not seen yet. One where life does not exist in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, if this anomaly can go backwards and is somehow getting larger backwards in time, effectively that means it could grow forever and destroy or undo all of the universe. So this universe would wipe itself out. That's a pretty big continuity for that universe. Q is clearly trying to teach a lesson to Picard. So the effect of this universe, whether it exists or not, will have a knock-on effect to whatever decision Picard will make when he gets back to his own time with Q. So for me, continuity-wise, this scene is exceptionally important. It will effectively save the universe now from a production side of things maybe this scene isn't necessarily needed what if he went back to the time of star trek enterprise with archer and he shows that the anomaly is there and it completely wiped out now of course enterprise didn't exist when they were making tng when we're talking about the production universe but in star trek universe we're accepting that enterprise is still part of the same timeline unless we discover in this podcast that there possibly is another reality. You don't have to go back 3.5 billion years to necessarily make the same point. So this scene doesn't have to exist as itself. It doesn't have to be there to make the same point. Now, for production reasons, a green screen showing nothing but a couple of volcanoes, a bit of CGI, a bit of map painting in the background, that's a lot cheaper than possibly making sets and showing ships and and all sorts of other kinds of tricks and camera work, perhaps even paying other actors to be there. So yes, from a production standpoint, it's probably the cheapest way to go, so you would keep the scene. But I'm also looking at whether this scene deserves to be as it is in continuity, and there are so many other possibilities. Speaking of possibilities, we move to our next ratings category, alterations. Now I'm going to imagine that I am a Q, that I am not just this Weak and feeble Ensign, this records officer. I'm also not the weak and feeble writer from your universe. I am effectively a Q who could rewrite the scene. And honestly, I can't think of anything. There is so much delivered to you in so few lines, with just a little bit of imagery and a few looks and glances from both Q and Picard. The acting is on point, the writing is on point. Whether I believe that this scene should exist as it is or not, it's a very effective scene. It proves a point in less than three minutes. That's pretty magical. So recommendations to a Star Trek fan. This scene is from one of the best finales of all of Star Trek, in my opinion. Does this scene, this three minute clip, stand up on its own? Possibly not. To a Star Trek fan, like I say, you could get other things. You could go back in time. What if uh, the scene was set during the TOS era and they'd superimpose the anomaly into a TOS episode? with a CGI Kirk reacting to it. There are other things they could have done. But there's just always something magical about watching Q and Picard having a discussion. It could be about literally anything, and it's really good to watch. So for Star Trek fans, I'm going to say yes, you can watch this clip. To non-Star Trek fans, trying to get into the franchise for the first time, trying to suss out what these characters are all about, we've got Q, we're giving a good grasp of his level of power, he is aware of so much going around him that there is something interesting about this character and again i have said john delancey is a joy to watch the same goes for patrick stewart now context for the scene they're talking about an anomaly but you have no background for it it doesn't interest you the the plot contrivance the MacGuffin for the plot isn't necessarily the hook here but i know for a fact that i've had this episode playing in the background sometimes when I've had friends over and what have you. And they've ignored everything else when they see the spaceship sets and things like this. That hasn't really drawn them in. But when it's Q on screen with Picard, there's something magical about it. I'm coming back to this point. They're there talking about the origins of life and it's something that almost everyone can kind of have a reference for. Like I've been saying, this stuff was covered when we were at school. So to see it depicted on the TV screen is quite magical to watch as well. It gives you something to think about. I know certainly that when I watch a documentary that talks about the formation of the solar system or something like that, this scene is sort of playing in the back of my head. That it could just be because I am a Star Trek fan. But there's also something that resonates about seeing two characters, two human characters, standing and watching a piece of history that no other human has ever watched before, going where no one has gone before, funnily enough. So to non-Star Trek fans... I am going to recommend this, purely based on the performance of the two characters and the actors portraying them. Now to our gods, our godlike entities. Some of you may not be aware of why I've added this category in. Of course, the gods, they want to re-watch all of Star Trek in chronological order, and that's why they've got me sat here watching it on this device. They've got a queue in this. They might want to see one of their own, perhaps watching themselves represented on screen. Maybe that gives them something to enjoy. But it's also dealing with something else. It's dealing with time travel. Is dealing with an anomaly that has an effect on time, existence, life, and unfolding things. It's also showing an existence where the universe will possibly completely fail. It transcends the normal day-to-day of what Star Trek is and gives us something else to watch. So to the godlike entities, I'd say yes, I'm recommending this scene as well. And now on to our final category, the setup. Join us next time for episode three, where we will be going to Voyager, season two, The episode Tattoo. And we will begin at timestamp 38 minutes, 32 seconds. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you in the next time stream. If you'd like to contact the show, there's now a Twitter account. Search Temporal Trek Podcast at rider underscore coattail. Or contact me directly at hitch underscore Daniel. I'm also on Instagram, Daniel underscore hitch underscore writer there's also a website with all of the timestamps you need to follow along go to ridingcoattails.simplesite.com and click the temporal trek page link the show is always going to be free there's no patreon at all but if you wish to financially contribute to the show feel free to find my books by searching me daniel hitch on amazon and we'll catch you in the next time stream